Welcome to Around the Farm, the podcast about all things ag. I'm your host, Clint Chaffer, and today we're going to be speaking with Holly Thrasher, a technical agronomist with DeKalb and Asgro, about managing your inputs throughout the season. Stay tuned. Holly, welcome to Around the Farm. Uh, how about you introduce yourself to the listeners? Thanks so much for having me, Clint. Um, I'm Holly Thrasher. I'm a technical agronomist for DeKalb Asgro. I live um, and cover Western Kansas and help support the Western and Central Kansas uh, sales teams. So nice. What, what what are all the variety of crops that uh, that you, that you focus on out in Kansas? Goodness, we have um, a lot of diversified crops here in Kansas. So Kansas is known as the wheat state. So we have a lot of wheat acres. And this year we have a lot of wheat acres out. Uh, So certainly one of our main crops. We have corn and soybeans. And then um, quite a bit of grain sorghum in Kansas. We're, I believe, the number one state for grain sorghum production. Um, And then there are a lot of cows in the state of Kansas. So we have cow-calf pairs, so fair amount of silage and hay acres, as well as a few specialty crops here and there. So we do have some winter canola and uh, sunflowers. And if you get into some specific pockets, you may even run into some millet. So a lot of of different uh, crops compared to some place like where you're at. Yeah, we see a lot of primarily corn and soybeans, but uh, that's why I wanted to ask that because I think uh, you know I don't, I don't think a lot of folks realize the diversity of agriculture within within Kansas. You know, I mean uh, that's a that's a lot of crops uh, that are that are going in the ground there. Yeah, absolutely, um, a lot of crops and a lot of crops year round, especially with wheat. So planting in the fall, and then um, you know we're winding down on planting in a lot of areas right now, but. This wheat crop will be progressing and be ready to harvest here next few weeks. So a lot of guys are going to transition from planting to to cutting wheat. So uh, not a lot of breaks for farmers around here. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that that keeps everybody busy uh, for sure. Do, do you have uh, do you have very much uh, irrigation in that area then as well? We do. So uh, the Western Kansas geography that I support, we do have quite a bit of irrigation. So um, our rainfall is a lot less in western Kansas. And so um, we are fortunate enough that we are able to supplement that lack of annual rainfall with irrigation. So a lot of the acres that I support are those irrigated, high yield, high management type of corn acres. Um, certainly over time, as we've seen some of the, uh, the aquifers reduced in their, their size and, and um, the, our ability to irrigate. Some of those irrigated acres are more of what I would call uh, limited irrigation, which just kind of adds an additional layer of product selection, management, that type of thing to how we're able to produce a crop. Well, I know you talked about uh, you know folks are starting to wrap up planting uh, at this point. H- how is the just from a general perspective? H- how's the how's the planting season been uh, been going for you? You know, it's gone pretty well. So um, where I'm at, we have been tremendously dry, uh, especially 
in the West. So a lot of uh, D3, even D4 drought conditions. So that dry land acre, unfortunately, there were a lot of uh, acres that didn't get planted. And, and those are an acre that we know year over year, the decision comes kind of at this time frame when it's like, well, we have enough soil moisture and we're going to go ahead and try to produce a crop. Um, with it being so dry, a lot of those acres didn't didn't end up getting planted, but we were we were very dry. On the other hand, of course, other areas of the nation were were wet this spring, um, so we did we had a very different challenge in that uh, we were dry. We didn't have quite the um, quite the cooler temperatures at planting time, so um, we were maybe a little delayed from normal but certainly not anything that I was concerned about. We have a lot of GDUs that we can that we can capture in a pretty short amount of time in this geography. So by and large, the, the planting season went pretty smooth. Um, we didn't have a lot of challenges necessarily with, with getting the crop in. I would say that our, our replant situations have been fairly minimal and that's been a, probably based around more of the tremendous amount of wind that we've had this spring. So some corn getting sandblasted to the point where, you know, maybe we made the decision that we're better off because we do have time um, to replant and really get a crop in and established uh, to go ahead and replant. We also had some hail in some, some small geographies. So little pop up storms here and there, but yeah, by and large, I would say that um, it's it's been a pretty pretty good planting season for us. Um, I would say that the crop looks pretty good from what I've seen so far, and we did get some beneficial rainfall over uh, a lot of the area here this week, actually. And so, as I look at the forecast where we're gonna where we're going to warm up in the next few days, that that crop is just going to take off. Corn is just going to be, it gets to that stage where you just go out to a field and you feels like you can hear it growing. You know, it's just tremendous how, how that plant can, um, can grow so fast under the right conditions. Well, I know this year on our farm, you know, we went from, you know, incredibly cold to then it turned out like, you know, 95 degrees, right? And everybody was, you know, throwing corn in the ground all at once. And I, I swear it was popping up within just a few days later, you're you're able to to row that corn. It was like one of the fastest emergence uh, that I've I can recall anyway in the in the in the short future anyway, or short past. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that um Hopefully that has a little bit to do with with uh, coaching around. All right, let's make sure that we get this crop in in the best conditions that we possibly can, and so um, not jumping the gun too much on when that crop went into the ground um, from a management standpoint. But from the from from the other side of the fence, looking at it as some of these newer genetics, where we're we're really taking a step forward in um, the agronomic ratings and things like emergence that we're bringing to the table with, with products has probably helped that out a lot. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about management, right? Uh, you, you talked about, you know, making some, some decisions, you know, even in the middle of planting where you may have to, you know, switch crops or switch a field. Um, 
talk about a little bit on on how how you go about you know making some recommendations on the front side of the season. Are are, are you putting together multiple plans for kind of multiple outcomes? Well, I mean, I think yes, we certainly have that uh, that plan A, but then you get plan B and plan C put together as well. And a lot of it has to do with um, certainly this year we've had a lot of challenges around input costs. Um, weather impacts. And so um, you can make your plan in the fall and say, all right, here, here's our intention. But if that's an acre where you get to spring and it's like, it's not fit to plant due to it being wet or it's too dry, then, then we have to pivot a little bit or um, recalibrate and say, all right, do we need to take a different approach in terms of Maybe we were going to plant some dryland corn if moisture was available in the spring. That didn't happen. Now you may look at it and say, all right, we're going to grow grain sorghum, which is something that's far, far more drought tolerant on those acres. Um, and, and then that change happens. So, yeah, there's certainly a lot of a lot of those um, changes in the plan that happen throughout the season, you know, Maybe it's a, I, in the fall, I thought I knew which hybrid I wanted and maybe I couldn't get it. And then that kind of changes your, your management and your decision thinking throughout the year. Um, maybe your populations changed because of those environmental factors or, um, you know, last minute, Hey, let's, let's rather than, do this, let's do something different on where we're placing those products. Do, do you see very many folks, like if they get delayed, like moving uh, uh, relative maturities at all? You know, for, for my area, um, and we went through this last year, especially where we had such a cool, cold, prolonged spring and, and we weren't at the appropriate soil temperatures um, that guys did in some instances change their relative maturities. Ultimately for us, and, and I tried to put together a lot of information to share with my, my customers um, around, okay, if we have a relative maturity hybrid that's XYZ days, we know that our GDUs to black layer are this. Based off of the, the average GDU accumulation in your area, what is the latest that we can plant that relative maturity and still get to black layer within, you know, within a reasonable amount of time. And again, for us, we are far enough South. Um, we're just in an environment that we get a lot of heat. And so we didn't have to make a lot of adjustments. Now, if you get into this few weeks that are coming up, you know, this June timeframe, um, Mid June, especially for me, is when it's like, all right, let's let's maybe reconsider um, what those relative maturities that we are planting are going to be. But by and large, I would rather stick with the original plan on the maturity and the products that we're planting. One, because we made a decision to plant that product for a reason, because that was the best option for that acre. And so I feel like if, if we do have to shorten up maturities, um, we may not be going to the best product for that field. So, 
Now, you know, you talked about uh, the rising cost of inputs, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and I look at uh, nitrogen being being one of those that we've seen a, a pretty decent uh, spike on. Um, what, what are what are you seeing in your in your neck of the woods as far as for changing or adjusting from just a a, a fertilizer perspective? Yeah, you know, I think that um, input costs are high. Commodity prices are also high. Now, what I found is that even when you try to highlight the uh, the opportunity with the commodity prices being high, everybody is very quick to say, oh, yeah, but all of my input costs are so high, I won't be able to make anything. But taking all those things into account, we still need to look at this as we want to raise the best crop we can, even with input cost high. We're not going to put nothing out there. And um, how do we get the highest ROI? So, um, you know, adjustments that may or may not have been made. I think that the crop that we pulled off um, last year was tremendous. A lot of growers had outstanding yields last year. And so I was certainly a proponent of, guys, let's, let's make sure we have a soil test in the fall so we know how much money we got in the bank to pull from that's there versus how, what are we going to have to deposit um, as an investment for for this crop coming up? Now, there may have been some situations where, where people said, all right, I'm going to now's the time I'm going to jump to making a variable nitrogen application that maybe you hadn't in the past or you're looking at, right, Instead of putting it all out in the fall, maybe you're going to look at, you're sitting there in the fall, you're thinking, all right, these, these prices are high, I don't know what the future is going to do. Maybe you start looking at some split applications that you hadn't done in the past. You're just being very intentional with those inputs and how you're managing them. Um, and I think that that's a good thing for people to be put in the situation where you know, we need to be careful with our, our inputs and how we're putting them out there and, and being intentional with how um, with how we're raising this crop and making the greatest ROI. So um, in season here, uh, we have the ability with a lot of those irrigated acres to fertigate. And so that creates a, a great opportunity for us to kind of spoon feed that, that crop along um, from its nutritional needs. And that helps as, as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what I've seen, you know, over the past, uh, you know, several years. It's really been, uh, it used to be all, you know, fall and spring applied anhydrous, right? That was like everything that we ended up seeing. And now you're starting to see, you know, whether it's a weed and feed on, at planting or whether it's a side dress, uh, urea going out and spreading, seeing a lot more urea getting put out have things like Y-drops or fertigation, right, uh, when you can go out there and spoon feed. What would be Holly's recommendation? Like if you have best case scenario, great growing weather, what would be your your, your best way to, to, to feed that crop throughout the year? You know, um, I like to see that crop go into a situation where it, it we've got good fertility. But I also... Um, I also really like throughout the season being able to provide what it needs when it needs it through things like fertigation and and wide drop. So I think that it's a little mix of of everything and that creates more work. 
understand that. But, um, you know, we, we've made a lot of decisions on this crop before we put it in the ground at that just because we planted it doesn't mean we get to walk away and we're done, right? There's still so many, so many times we need to be in the field making those critical decisions. And so I like, I like to have a little bit of a balance there um, where we're, we're, we're being intentional with how we put our fertility programs together. You know, it, it was really interesting. I was talking to uh, one of our uh, retail partners here uh, this week, and they were talking about just some of the uh, different ways that people put, you know, nitrogen on, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and starting to get a little bit more creative. And it was around urea, and I found this fascinating. They were doing a mix, like a 70-30 mix of encapsulated urea and regular urea mm-hmm. and going out there and spreading that to basically get some instant, you right. know, with the non-capsulated and then have this slow release. And it's just really interesting as we see time kind of progress, how the the creative you know, creative activity that we can see, uh, see going on in the, in the whole world of nitrogen there. Yeah, absolutely. I, I actually did my, um, my master's degree on some of the, um, nitrogen, uh, stabilizers. And that was one thing that we found with encapsulated, um, fertilizers was that the breakdown over time can be so slow that you do need to have that, you know, initial, um, shot of of uh, some food, and then and then you've got that uh, slower release over time. Yeah, I, I just I'd never heard that before, and I just found that uh, that to be fascinating. But uh, so you know, we talked about just sticking with the nitrogen. I got one more question here. Um, weather, of course, can change throughout the year. I mean, you can go from wet to dry, or dry to wet, and and any variation in between. Um, does does that change if you are doing you know nitrogen applications into the growing season? Does d- do you start adjusting that plan based on on weather patterns at that point? If it's turning off really dry, are you are you decreasing or increasing what whatever the case may be? Yeah, and and I think yes, we do. Um, but but also I think the thing we need to to keep in mind is all right. What was our fertility plan? If we put everything on in the fall or we put everything on the spring on in the spring based off of our weather patterns, is that nitrogen still there? Um, or do we need to look at, Hey, maybe we got a lot of rain. Um, and I don't live where I would have a lot of, of leaching, um, or denitrification. But if we did, um, happen to have that happen, do I need in season to kind of readjust and start thinking about, you know, water stat in this area for a really long time. Now maybe I need to look at adjusting what my fertilizer or my fertility in season was based off of of that, um, and make sure that that area then then has enough uh, crop nutrition. Do you ever see it like, hey, we're going to have a rock star of a of a year? This corn's growing like crazy, and I'm just going to throw a little bit more food at this thing. Yeah, I mean, I try to think about going into the season. All right, where I live, we were we were dry, and all of the extended forecasts were calling for um, very below average rainfall, above average temperature. But 
not necessarily ideal um, for us that that we're going to have to rely so heavily on on irrigation because ultimately it's just like any other resource it is limited you know we only get to put on so much water through the pivot and um, that said you make your decisions based off of what you have today but I also think about where were we at in July last year. You know, we had a couple of weeks in there where that crop was going to get to um, that flowering pollination stage, very, very critical timing in its life cycle. And we didn't have rain in the forecast. We had really, really hot temperatures, which is the norm. And I just thought, man, this is, this is not helping our crop anyway. And at that point in time, I could have said, man, this is, we're just, we're going to have an okay crop at best, but you just keep pushing forward. And if you'd given up then, you wouldn't have been one of those people that was cutting 300 bushel corn last fall, you know? So, um, yeah, maybe we had going into this year where it's hot, it's dry. We need, we need to be, um, very intentional with our decisions, but we need to set ourselves up that if if it does rain, if we do have those ideal growing conditions, we're we're getting the best um, yields that we possibly can. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, you you also don't want to cut yourself short, right? right. That's uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, an- another question I have for you, Holly. Uh, you know, in, in I think the the technical agronomist role is just a fascinating role with all the different stakeholders that you get to work with uh-huh. uh, out in your area. Um, take us through a day in the life of of Holly working with uh, your, you know, whether it's uh, our our dealers out there, whether it's working with farmers, uh, and even working with your team. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, the interesting thing is my husband will say, well, do you know what, what, uh, this week looks like? And he's known me long enough. He shouldn't ask those questions. Cause it's like, I don't, I have no idea what tomorrow looks like. I may not even know what the rest of the day looks like. Um, but certainly at this, this point of, of the year, getting out to look at plots as much as I can to evaluate, okay, here's the, here's the new class of products. Um, how are they looking out of the ground? Cause this is my first time to see them in the field. Um, trying to get dealers um, to get out and take a look at those things as well, just just because they need to have um, the confidence level of how products are, are looking. But it really just depends on the day. You may be putting a plot in. You may be going to look at emergence. You may get a call from, from a dealer or a farmer. There's a tremendous amount of crop consultants in my geography that um, I help support as they have questions about um, DeKalb and ASGRO uh, products in the field. So I may get a call from someone that says, hey, this doesn't quite look right right in the field. Can you go take a look? And so um, that's this time of year what a lot of it is, is getting in the pickup and maybe not always knowing which direction you're going to be. You're going to be going, but knowing that as that phone rings, um, the reason they're calling is they need an answer and they need an answer quickly. Yeah. 
And 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 when you're putting in, you know, when you say plots, and I know you're talking about new new seed products, right? Are some of these plots too? You know, like when we were just talking about uh, different nitrogen practices. Do you, do you see different plots going in of saying, hey, how does this product respond to you know different types of practices as well? Yeah. So in in my area, a lot of the plots that when I reference plots, those are market development plots through our through our dealers and, and retailers that they're putting out. Um, we, excuse me, we do have in my geography, we have uh, what we call the VRI or the variable rate irrigation site. And that is the, the TD group um, is the one that does the, the planting with that. Um, and that's a great resource for us to, to be able to use as a training site because um, we've got the whole lineup of, of products, but then they're also looking at different uh, irrigation rates to help answer that question. Um, all right, if I have limited irrigation capacity, which products are going to be the best pick? So you get a look at full irrigation, you know, shoot the moon, what's, what's the top end look like? Those, those type of, of questions get answered, but then also if I don't have a multitude of um, opportunities to irrigate because of because of things like the limited resource on irrigation. What what should I place? Well, we can answer that from the the VRI site. Um, we also have locally one of the plots that I kind of spearhead is um, in soybeans, and we have a lot of high pH soils in my area and. A lot of times when you think about planting soybeans on high pH acres, you're thinking of, um, you know, places in the north where soybean maturities are shorter. And so we're kind of in a little bit of a, a niche maturity for that, um, that challenge. So locally, I work with some growers and we put out some screening plots and that helps us to to better understand which soybean varieties have needed pH tolerance. Um, we've, we've also got a, an excellent TD organization. Like I said, they, they help manage and execute that variable rate irrigation site, but um, across the whole high plains through the Gothenburg Learning Center and, and the TDRs in Western Kansas, Northwest Kansas, Colorado, you know, they're looking at a number of different uh, trials that they facilitate on SmartSex Pro um, versus versus other uh, below ground trait comparisons. They're looking at high pH in, in corn. Um, they're looking at different plant populations. And so they're the ones that that uh, facilitate a lot of that local research that answers questions we have. Well, I, I know, you know, as, as time has progressed here, uh, another one of those tools when you're talking about analyzing and tracking is just digital ag mm -hmm. tools, uh, such as like Climate Field View. Right. Um, how, how has that kind of worked into your role? How do you see farmers uh, utilizing this to track, you know, maybe it is, you know, fertility management and things of that nature uh, to just try better understanding what's happening? Right, absolutely. So, you know, I think that uh, the digital tools that we have available to us today are um, tremendous in helping with decision making um, to help with really um, allowing us to prioritize our time in the field, where to go, where to look, things like that. Like I mentioned earlier, there were a lot of decisions 
um, put into this crop before we planted it. There's a lot of uh, dollars and inputs that are out there and we don't get to walk away from it. And I think that being able to use something like in season, um, you know, health images through climate field view is a great way to be able to continue to look at that crop and say, all right, how are we progressing? Are there things in the field that I need to address, such as, um, you know, if we're seeing differences in those field health images, maybe it's time to um, look at if there's an area of the field that's showing up different, maybe it's fertility, um, maybe it's weed pressure, things like that. You know, I, I remember seeing a, an image. I think it may have been from from uh, from around your area, and uh, it was a plugged nozzle on the irrigation, uh-huh. and uh, that they ended up picking up on the on the infield health images, and that was fascinating. You just had like this perfectly, you know, red circle that was all around that field. Yeah, um, I think about so not long after I had started my um, in my role. I had a, a call with uh, a farmer who said, hey, my corn doesn't look right. Now, this is September, right? And so my corn doesn't look like can you, right. Can you come take a look at it? And you go out there and, and you're walking into a situation where you're doing a lot of investigation. You're asking a lot of questions because you have no idea what's happened up till this point. And uh, ultimately, we're almost close to the finish line, right? That, that crop is almost finished. And it was really, really valuable to, to me and uh, the FSR that I was working with to be able to go back, look at those field health images and start looking at week by week, did we start seeing a trend on when things changed um, and why it changed or areas in the field, maybe it changed. And can we then go in the field and, and identify what that may or may not have been. Ultimately, what we found is that um, that had a lot to do with uh, lack of phosphorus um, that on that field. And so some of the dim- differences that were showing up in the field health image and where we were able to walk in the field and say, hey, this doesn't look as bad versus this area. We're struggling and we're trying to figure out why had a lot to do with soil type differences. And so, you know, it's just it's just a great tool because so often in in my role, we're going into um, we're going into situations where we're we're investigating and trying to answer questions. And and it just is a tool to help us um, understand and know which questions to even ask, because a lot of times it's like, well, what 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 did you do differently here versus here? And. Yeah, it's, it's a great tool to, to have in your back pocket. I think, too, about we've got a lot of consultants in my area. And you think about somebody that every year is boots on the ground walking that field. The amount of um, just familiarity they have. They know the areas of the field to go check. And things like climate field view, being able to utilize those digital tools, kind of allows you to, to get that bird's eye view and, and be able to take some of the information that they'd be thinking about as well um, to, to where you prioritize your time in the field. Uh, that's, that's a hundred percent right. You know, I mean, uh, you talk about somebody that knows that field inside and out and having some of these tools 
you don't gain that knowledge immediately, but man, at least you can get a little bit of an oversight, right? And uh, and it's a lot easier to looking up a, for, from above than trying to walk across a 160-acre field, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the, the TAs all have drones now. And so for me, that's been another, you know, another tool in the toolbox. I know that gets said a lot, but it's another tool that just kind of adds to, as you go to a field, how... How do we best understand what's going on and how to improve it? Or maybe we're we're right where we need to be, and that's obviously a great day too. Yeah, uh, yeah. These these uh, these high technology tools are just uh, incredibly fun. You know, you talked about a drone. We have one on our farm, and that's always like the first thing if a storm rolls through and we want to, you know, assess different things. Dad and I are in the in the truck, you know, flying that thing around. And uh, same thing goes with like stand counts, right? It used to be like you got to go out and count and and uh, and and everything else, and now you just fly this drone, and fifteen minutes later, you got a you, you know a, a data point for every here. acre. Yeah, here you go. Um, yeah. No. Well, Holly, I appreciate uh, you know you taking the time to come in on the show here. I would imagine you've probably already missed like a dozen calls from you know from folks that are uh, wanting to talk to you. So uh, so thank you for uh, for coming on here. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, enjoy the rest of the uh, growing season, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, a big thank you to Holly for joining us here today. That was a great conversation around managing inputs. Also, thanks to you, the listener, for joining us. And be sure to hit that like button, subscribe, and share this episode with a friend. And you can catch these episodes on YouTube or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts. Also, Around the Farm is brought to you by Climate Field View. With that, we'll see you around the farm.